Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nudie Brains podcast. My name is Emily and I'm the host. I'm so excited for you to listen to this interview with Chloe, who is at OpenOceanMinded on Instagram. Um, she is doing some amazing works with the Latinx community and the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and kind of two things on this. Um, I think she's going to go on to change the world because she has so many cool ideas and really wants to help all people understand science and make sure that it's accessible to everyone. Um, and the second thing is, so far, everyone that I've met from this like Instagram SciComm community has been so nice, and I want them to be my best friend. And Chloe is no exception to that. Um, so I'm very excited for you to listen to this podcast. If you're interested in following her, again, she's at OpenOceanMinded. I'm at Emily the Marine Biologist. And don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. So thank you so much for being on my podcast today, Chloe. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. It's nice to finally meet you in person because I feel like we talk a lot on social media and now face-to-face, this is awesome. So let's get started. What is your favorite invertebrate? I think I have to go with one that I've had a long history of working with while I've been in school, and that's called Estrangia poculata, or the northern star coral, and it's a coral that's actually found near where I go to school in Boston University, so it's found all the way up to Rhode Island, which is really funny, because you wouldn't think of corals up in Rhode Island. Yeah, definitely. Well, most people don't know that we have deep sea corals in Monterey, too, so, you know, they're, they're everywhere. That's awesome. Why did you start studying science in the first place? So for the longest time, I really did not see myself as a scientist. I did not know what I wanted to do for a while. I wanted to be a vet. And then I got this strange fantasy of, I want to be a musician. Did I know how to play an (laughs) instrument? Heck no. But I wanted to be a musician. So I just kind of transitioned more and more. And as I went through classes, I noticed I really had an aptitude for the sciences. I really liked seeing how things worked, how they ticked. And then when I started volunteering, at the aquarium it was just a match made in heaven and I just fell in love with the ocean someplace that I had such a deep kinship to and growing up here in Monterey and the Monterey Bay who wouldn't love the ocean honestly yeah absolutely um and so you did most of your research then at Boston University right so do you want to talk a little bit about your research Yeah, so research that I have done myself, I helped out a PhD candidate. Thanks, Karina, for letting me be a part of it. (laughs) It was really awesome to work with you all, but we looked into the different morphological variations between one type of parietes coral. And I say one type, but we're not even sure if it's one type. It could actually be different species. So the genus name of it is parietes, but it's this finger-branching coral that occurs in the Caribbean. And there's Parietes de Vericata, Parietes Furcata, and another, and Parietes Parietes. <laughs> and the only way you can tell them apart is by the thickness of the branches. So one of them's like pinky, ring finger, and then middle finger to thumb. That's pretty, that, that would be really difficult to distinguish. And it's like, maybe I have really chubby yeah, pinky exactly. fingers. Maybe I just had a lot of salt that day. Who knows? Yeah. So it's really hard to tell sometimes. So you can get into some intense debates of, oh, we saw this colony here. And it's like, did we though? So varieties overall, and you can get down to the species later. But what we did down in Belize actually was notice that we were finding these corals in mangroves, which is a super novel habitat. And it's really awesome to find corals in mangroves. Because if you've ever been in the mangroves here in the U.S., down in Florida, they're not exactly the most beautiful, stunning place. No. 
they're really dark, they have really sediment-filled waters, they're rarely ever clear. So you wouldn't think of that's where you can find corals, but they're thriving really well. The temperatures maintain fairly stable, so they're calling them kind of refugia or kind of refuges for the corals to perhaps repopulate the reef. Yeah, that's really interesting. And were they um, corals that actually had like symbiotic photosynthesizers in them? Yeah. The water was so muddy and gross. Yeah, they did have um, some pigments involved with them. So I'm not sure which type of photosynthetic pigments that they had in them. But we took that good old trusty coral reef watch card, held that up and took our photos in there. What we were really interested in looking at is the mangrove root and how the corals were growing around it and if they were still having these beautiful branches we'd see on the reef. They weren't the prettiest corals. Like, (laughs) maybe this will be a Halloween episode. They looked a little bit like Frankenstein, have a weird little limb out here, one guy going off this way. Yeah, same. That sounds like my life. So (laughs) So it's like, oh, I look a little rough this morning. Uh, Not as rough as that coral. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And did you enjoy your time in Belize? How was traveling there? Yeah, it was a really great time. I think the worst part of my experience was losing my wallet when I came back to the U.S. So I did so good on my day back. We took two boats, actually, a bus and two planes, but I lost it in the Miami airport coming back to Boston. So that last little stretch. And then I had to bargain my way back into my dorm and just be like please let me in. You don't understand. I just came back from a foreign country. You're like, I do actually live here. I promise. I promise. And I just had all my stuff from being away for 12 days. And they're like, okay, I know you. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> please yeah. take a sleep. <laughs> and did you see any evidence of, of like plastic pollution or anything while you were down in Belize? There was a lot of plastic pollution. So I actually stayed at the University of Belize's research station called okay. Calabash K. So that was one of the three or four atolls that are in the Western Hemisphere. So it's a very special place, but unfortunately, so much plastic is washing ashore. So the ones I could see were macroplastics. So I'm not sure if much research is currently being done on the effects of microplastics. But thinking about it more, there was actually one study that was done there about um, how microplastics were getting attached to the biofilms on seagrasses. Oh, no. So it's really scary to see the ways that in novel places that we're learning that they're getting integrated into the food chain. Yeah, especially somewhere. I mean, I think of Belize was fairly remote, you know, compared to living in the Bay Area here. So it's sad that it's spreading that far. Shoot. Um, But you, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you've moved out of the research realm a little bit into more like policy and education and things like that. Do you want to talk more about what you're currently doing? Yeah, so I'm taking a semester off right now because it takes a lot of money to go to school. So I'm taking a little financial break and I'm trying my hand out in the job world. So I'm currently working as the bilingual outreach intern at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. So I'm really trying to look to see how we can engage the Latinx community in policy. So Latinx is a gender-neutral way to refer to people that are traditionally considered Hispanic or Latino, and it just kind of gives a nod to people who are gender non-conforming and moves us away a bit from that gendered language. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And what specifically do you do um, in, that, in that role? So I've been looking to see how, what is this community truly like? Is everyone really a Spanish speaker? Are people really bilingual? And there's been some really interesting statistics about that. So 40% of people are actually English dominant and 40% are bilingual. Hmm. And then 20% are Spanish dominant. 
So you could say, oh, 40%? Awesome, we're reaching that with our English stuff. But also, you're ignoring potentially 60% of people. So there's a strong push for perhaps having blended language communication. So we don't have to translate everything into Spanish, which can be super time-consuming and very left-brain, right-brain in terms of translating. Yeah, definitely. But I feel like the aquarium does do a fairly good job of having a lot of their exhibits and things in both English and Spanish. Is your work kind of contributing to that, or is it more the outreach that the aquarium does? It's a bit of inreach as well. So what are we doing across the organization? Just kind of taking note of all the assets and everything. And at the same time, what's the rest of the community doing? So it's been really nice and really empowering to see wow, other people have really stepped up and are reaching this key demographic. So maybe we can learn how to best support them and not redo what they're doing, but say, hey, we so love that you're doing this in the fight to against climate change and to protect our earth. How can we help you? Yeah, definitely. And I know kind of outside of your work at the aquarium, you have this personal Instagram um, do you want to talk a little bit about that project, what you have there, um, and your, you, you collaborate with all sorts of people. I think you're collaborating with Five Dryers now, so yeah. all sorts of different things. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a bit? I recently got accepted to be part of the Five Dryers Ambassador Program, so they do a lot of work in plastic pollution, and I'm diving right in to learn more about how to communicate on their recent study actually done in the San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. So kind of like our bay sibling up a little bit north, but they were finding that 7 million particles of microplastic come in each year and most of it's coming from tires Interesting. which is this insane source of microplastic that none of us really consider we consider a lot of us have become aware of the fact of like our clothes shedding and moving mm-hmm. towards more natural fibers but now it just feels like oh no there's this other roadblock to it and I don't know if you've been to the barrier recently but there's a lot of cars on the road yeah. <laughs> it is an experience up there Yeah, definitely. And you post a bunch of like really cool infographics and stuff on Instagram as well. Um, How do you like get the ideas for those things and and how do you create those? Yeah, so actually I am a true millennial and that everything I do is on my phone. So I have one editing app. I get pictures from this service called Unsplash, which recently got integrated into Google Drive, which is really awesome. I have all these free photos. So definitely check it out. They have a pretty awesome library of images. So I really wanted to have everything stay self-contained within my phone because I really believe that anyone can be a scientist and therefore anyone can be a science communicator. So just really showing that if I can do it, anyone else can as well. Yeah, absolutely. And is scientific communication kind of the route that you want to go, do you think? Or what's your plan in the future? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, like I said before, I'm wrapping up my last year's studies at Boston University. So it's a little too late to switch over and do a comm minor. And also the classes aren't quite as focused as I would have hoped. So looking more into perhaps journalism, but definitely something with a science communication focus. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, sorry, skipping back because I just thought about this. Did growing up in California influence your um, your knowledge of the Spanish language, or how did you learn Spanish? Yeah, so you may not see it when you look at me. So I have pretty blonde hair, some lovely light green eyes that like to change colors. So have fun looking at my driver's license, honestly. <laughs> But um, I am Latina. My mom is from El Salvador. So I at first really resisted learning Spanish as a little kid. And now I'm like, why did you do that, little Chloe? This is literally how you've gotten all of your jobs is by being bilingual. Yeah. 
So I learned it at home through my family, but I actually transitioned from normal education to a bilingual education and dual immersion program. So I learned history, math, English standards, all in Spanish. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I'm partially Hispanic as well. So people don't typically see that. So I love that, finding this community of people for sure. That's yeah. awesome. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of your work at the aquarium or your Instagram before we move into climate change a little bit? Or Yeah, I guess just with my Instagram, I really love seeing the community of people that I met. I recently connected with a woman down in the Pacific Grove area and I helped her run a beach cleanup and we had a lot of success just kind of brainstorming um, activities off of each other, just saying she really wanted to push the idea of using reusables. So I think a lot of us have become really aware and super empowered to be like, I brought my straw everywhere, I brought my water bottle everywhere, but what else can I do? So just kind of rethinking our ideas and our relationships with materials. So instead of using paper towels or a napkin when you're out, maybe bring your own napkin. Yeah. Bring your own uh, Tupperware when you know that you're going to have leftovers because your favorite Italian place always gives you too much to eat. Yeah, and California is getting better and better about that. I know in some states it's actually illegal to bring your own Tupperware if you have leftover food because they're just worried about like food safety. But I think in most of California – um, that's allowed now. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that is really important and one way that we can all cut down on waste for sure. So yeah, that's awesome. they actually just passed a law that was just signed, I believe, by Newsom that you can bring in your own yeah. Tupperware. But there ha- I haven't personally heard of much pushback, but there may be in some other areas that aren't as aware. They may say, no, you can't do that. But they're actually making it so the restaurant has to have a contamination-free or cross-contamination-free area. So they will fill your container. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that so much. I love that so much. And normally I ask this at the end, um, but since we've been talking about your social media, do you want to share your handle so that people can follow you? Yeah, so my um, Instagram and Facebook handles are at OpenOceanMinded. And I'm trying to get my head started on Twitter. I just have too much to say for 140 characters. So we're getting there. Just yeah. have to think in tweets from now on. <laughs> and where did your um, name come from? Like, why did you choose Open Ocean Minded? So this one actually came from my boyfriend. So he always talked about being open-minded and being ocean-minded and everything that he did. Oh, so okay. it kind of just blended it together. So it's kind of a little love note to him. So That's cute. Thanks, Ben, for that. all your inspiration. <laughs> Is he a marine scientist, too? Or? He used to be. We actually met working at the aquarium together. So we've been together for four years and we met through volunteering and now he works at the aquarium as an education instructor. That's so cool. Good for him. Awesome. Um, So let's move into climate change a little bit. What do you think is like one thing that everyone needs to know about climate change? That our oceans are involved in climate change. So a lot of the climate discussions although awesome that we're getting into them all, typically tend to ignore our oceans. We just had the IPCC release that special report on the oceans and cryosphere just a couple weeks ago, even though we've been talking about climate change for a while at this point, a couple decades, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of realizing that we, although this is planet Earth, we are largely oceans, so we need to kind of factor that into everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you were saying it's it's everywhere too, right? Even in Belize. And I know the Nautilus expedition has been um, at the Gulf of the Farallons this week and they found a tire like oh, 6,000 no. feet down. Speaking of microplastics, yeah. that's a macroplastic for sure because it was the whole thing. Oh, so gosh. yeah, it's, it's everywhere for sure. 
Um, let's see. What advice do you have for young people that maybe want to like start making a difference for the planet? Maybe their parents are a little bit resistant to it, but they're, they're, they just want to make a step in the right direction. I think definitely leading by example. Just it may feel exhausting. I know I have to rejuvenate a lot that it feels like I'm shouting at no one or a brick wall <laughs> and it's really hard, but just lead by example and you'll find other like-minded people through that. Find a community. Volunteer is one of the biggest things that's really shaped who I am and really brought me together with a community of people who have been lifelong friends to me at this point. Yeah. And do you have any advice for people who like want to find the place to volunteer? Like, How did you find you volunteered at the aquarium. Um, how, how did you find that? My dad's actually started volunteering first. So just okay. kind of family connections, reach out to local institutions, or even just check out here. Like Emily is a student over at Moss Landing Marine Labs. And I bet you'd love people to come and oh help gosh, you out. So much. We need so much help. Yeah, yes. exactly. A little plug for that. Please help out your local graduate student. <laughs> they will us. love you. <laughs> Perhaps they'll pay you back in pizza. Yeah. Who knows? Or cookies or, you know, whatever. But yeah, no, that's a good point. I think more people need help than people realize. So just asking and getting involved in any way is is really important. That's awesome. Um, Let's see here. What do you have to say to climate change deniers? (sighs) Oh, friends. (laughs) Please. I think a big part of it is understanding that perhaps science will not sway everyone. Mm-hmm. I think science and scientists have started to become dirty words a bit where people are like, oh, no, these evil mad scientists are cooking up carbon everywhere. It's, yeah. No, no, we're human beings, too. And just as well as these people are human beings, but perhaps they have different priorities, but perhaps figuring out how to connect to these people. So if for some reason a climate change denier is I'm just one human. I can't have an impact on this world. Just think, yeah, we can. We are so many humans all together. And one really interesting thing I've started to think about is I'm not really a very religious person, but perhaps reaching out to that demographic that could also be perhaps religious and conservative and say, hey, we want to be stewards of God's good earth. How can we come together and do that? Perhaps we don't agree on all the scientific facts, but for different reasons, we are united in this love for our world. So let's make it a better place. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are so many different ways to frame it. And it's not just all about the hard science. It really is about caring, caring for other people and caring for the planet. And I think that that's something that almost everyone can get behind, no matter what their background is. So I think that's really important. Is there anything else that you wanted to plug before um, one of us shares an obscure fact or pun? I guess just... One awesome thing that I love the Great Barrier Reef to bits ever since I went this past April, but I want to send a little bit of love today to our Mesoamerican Barrier Reef, which is the second largest barrier reef in the world, and it's located off the coast of Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and Belize, and that's where I've been centering a lot of my research, so it's been a great way to really engage the Latinx community in that they have this resource that they all depend off right off of their shores. And also, it's a source of pride. It's an incredible place. So if you have a chance, visit it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think something, going back a little bit, but also connecting to what you just said, something that people don't realize is that coral reefs and mangrove forests are really important to help protect coastlines from storms and things like that. So not not only would, you know, losing these habitats mean, oh, shoot, like, 
No more fish at the Great Barrier Reef, darn. But it's also important for people as hurricanes get more severe and, and sea level rise, you know, continues to happen. It's that these are really important ecosystems for those areas. So And carbon sequestration. Yeah. These are some of the most productive ecosystems in the world. So we really are kind of shooting ourselves in the foot by taking them out. We should be replenishing them. So Yeah, absolutely. Do you get to go down to Belize again for your research? Or? I wish. Since I'm just wrapping up my last semester, the program only runs in the fall. But oh, have fun, everyone down in the marine program that's hopefully going to be down there soon. Yeah. Shoot. Well... I'll go ahead and share the pun this time, unless you want to. No, I think you have the best wait time for it. <laughs> okay. Um, so I heard this yesterday on the Nautilus Live Expedition because there were so many tinafores. Um, tinafores, if you are not aware, are related. Uh, they're actually not closely related at all to jellies or jellyfish. Um, they don't have stinging cells, so they're pretty different, but they look very similar. Um, and the joke goes, uh, how, no, how does it go? Why do tinafores sleep so well? Why? Because the sea is silent. <laughs> so if you got that, then you already know how to spell tinafore. If you didn't get that, look up how to spell tinafore, and that should help you. Thank you so much for being on my podcast again today, Chloe. And remind them again, what is your Instagram handle? Yeah, so you can check me out on Instagram or Facebook at Open Ocean Minded. And thank you so much, Emily, for having me. It yeah. was lovely to meet you. <laughs> lovely to meet you too. Thank you so much.